Chapter Five of The Bent Twig by Dorothy Canfield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, Something About Husbands. She did not, by any means, always sit in the hotel and watch Pauline care for different portions of Aunt Victoria's body. Mrs. Marshall Smith took, on principle, a drive every day, and Sylvia was her favorite companion. At first they went generally over the asphalt and in front of the costly and incredibly differing mansions of the residential portion of town, but later their drives took them principally along the winding roads and under the thrifty young trees of the State University campus. They often made an excuse of fetching Professor Marshall home from a committee meeting, and as the faculty committees at the time of year were, for the most part, feverishly occupied with the classification of the annual flood-tide of freshmen. He was nearly always late, and they were obliged to wait long half-hours in front of the main building. Sylvia's cup of satisfaction ran over as, dressed in her simple best, which her mother, without comment, allowed her to put on every day now, she sat in the well-appointed carriage beside her beautiful aunt, at whom everyone looked so hard and so admiringly the university work had not begun but unresigned and harassed professors and assistants recalled from their vacations for various executive tasks were present in sufficient numbers to animate the front steps of the main building with constantly gathering and dissolving little groups these called out greetings to each other and exchanged dolorous mutual condolences on their hard fate all showing with a helpless masculine naivete their consciousness of the lovely observant figure in the carriage below them of a different sort were the professor's wives who occasionally drifted past on the path aunt victoria might have been a blue uniformed messenger boy for all that was betrayed by their skilfully casual glance at her and then away and the subsequent directness of their forward gaze across the campus Mrs. Marshall Smith had for both these manifestations of consciousness of her presence the same imperturbable smile of amusement. "'They are delightful, these colleagues of your father's,' she told Sylvia. Sylvia had hoped fervently that the stylish Mrs. Hubert might see her in this brief apotheosis, and one day her prayer was answered. Straight down the steps of the main building they came, Mrs. Hubert, glistening in shiny blue silk, extremely unaware of Aunt Victoria, the two little girls looking to Sylvia like fairy princesses, with pink and white lace-trimmed dresses, and big pink hats with rose wreaths. Even the silk laces in their low, white kid shoes were of pink to match the ribbons, which gleamed at waist and throat and elbow. Sylvia watched them in an utter admiration, and was beyond measure shocked when Aunt Victoria said, after they had stepped daintily past, "'Heavens! What a horridly overdressed family! Those poor children look too absurd, tricked out like that. The one nearest me had a sweet, appealing little face, too.' "'That is Eleanor,' said Sylvia, with a keen, painful recollection of the scene a year ago. She added doubtfully, "'Didn't you think the dresses pretty, Aunt Victoria?' "'I thought they looked like pincushions on a kitchen-maid's dressing-table,' returned Aunt Victoria more forcibly than she usually expressed herself. 
You look vastly better with the straight lines of your plain white dresses. You have a great deal of style, Sylvia. Judith is handsomer than you, but she will never have any style. This verdict, upon both the Huberts and herself, delivered with a serious accent of mature deliberation, impressed Sylvia. It was one of the speeches she was to ponder. Although Professor Marshall showed himself noticeably negligent in the matter of introducing his colleagues to his sister, it was only two or three days before Aunt Victoria's half-hours of waiting before the main building had other companionship than Sylvia's. This was due to the decisive action of young Professor Saunders, just back from the British Museum, where, at Professor Marshall's suggestion, he had been digging up facts about the economic history of the twelfth century in England. Without waiting for an invitation, he walked straight up to the carriage with the ostensible purpose of greeting Sylvia, who was a great favorite of his, and who, in her turn, had a romantic admiration for the tall young assistant. Of all the faculty people who frequented the Marshall House, he and old Professor Kennedy were the only people whom Sylvia considered stylish and professor kennedy in spite of his very high connection with the aristocracy of la chance was so cross and depressed that really his style did not count she was now greatly pleased by the younger professor's public and cordial recognition of her and with her precocious instinct for social ease managed to introduce him to her aunt even adding quaintly a phrase which she had heard her mother use in speaking of him my father thinks professor saunders has a brilliant future before him this very complimentary reference had not the effect she hoped for since both the young man and aunt victoria laughed exchanging glances of understanding and said to each other isn't she delicious but at least it effectually broke any ice of constraint so that the newcomer felt at once upon the most familiarly friendly terms with the sister of his chief thereafter he came frequently to lean an arm on the side of the carriage and talk with the ladies-in-waiting, as he called the pretty woman and child. Once or twice Sylvia was transferred to the front seat beside Peter, the negro driver, on the ground that she could watch the horses better, and they took Professor Saunders for a drive through the flat, fertile country, now beginning to gleam ruddy with autumnal tints of bronze and scarlet and gold. Although she greatly enjoyed the social brilliance of these occasions, on which Aunt Victoria showed herself unexpectedly sprightly and altogether enchanting, Sylvia felt a little guilty that they did not return to pick up Professor Marshall, and she was relieved, when they met at supper, that he made no reference to their defection. He did not, in fact, mention his assistant's name at all, and yet he did not seem surprised when Professor Saunders coming to the Sunday evening rehearsal of the quartet, needed no introduction to his sister, but drew a chair up with the evident intention of devoting all his conversation to her. For a time, this overt intention was frustrated by old Reinhardt, smitten with an admiration as unconcealed for the beautiful stranger. In the interval, before the arrival of the later members of the quartet, he fluttered around her like an ungainly old moth, racking his scant English for complimentary speeches. These were received by Aunt Victoria with her best calm smile, and by Professor Saunders with open impatience. His equanimity was not restored by the fact that they were chanced to be rather more general talk than usual that evening, leaving him but small opportunity for his tete-a-tete. -tete. 
It began by the arrival of Professor Kennedy, a little late, delayed at a reunion of the Kennedy family. He was always reduced to bilious gloom by any close contact with that distinguished, wealthy, and much-looked-up-to group of citizens of La Chance, and this evening he walked into the front door, obviously even more depressed than usual. The weather had turned cool, and his imposingly tall old person was wrapped in a cape overcoat. Sylvia had no fondness for Professor Kennedy, but she greatly admired his looks and his clothes and his handsome, high-nosed old face. She watched him wrestle himself out of his coat as though it were a grappling enemy, and was not surprised at the irritability which sat visibly on his arching white eyebrows. He entered the room trailing his cello bag beside him and plucking peevishly at its drawstrings and although aunt victoria quite roused herself at the sight of him he received his introductions to her with reprehensible indifference he sank into a chair and looked sadly at the fire taking the point of his white beard in his long tapering fingers professor marshall turned from the piano where he sat striking a for the conscientious barmeister to tune and said laughingly hey there knight of the dolorous countenance what vulture is doing business at the old stand on your liver? Professor Kennedy crossed one long, elegantly slim leg over the other. I've been dining with the Kennedy family, he said, with a neat and significant conciseness. Anything specially the matter with the predatory rich? queried Marshall, reaching for his viola case. Professor Kennedy shook his head. Alas, there's never anything the matter with them. Come in Diable, il si portante toujours bien. At the purity of accent with which this embittered remark was made, Mrs. Marshall Smith opened her eyes and paid more attention as the old professor went on. The last of my unmarried nieces has shown herself a true Kennedy by providing herself with a dolichocephalic blonde of a husband like all the others. The dinner was given in honor of the engagement. Sylvia was accustomed to finding Professor Kennedy's remarks quite unintelligible, and this one seemed no odder to her than the rest, so that she was astonished that Aunt Victoria was not ashamed to confess as blank an ignorance as the little girls. The beautiful woman leaned toward the morose old man with the suave self-confidence of one who has never failed to charm, and drew his attention to her by a laugh of amused perplexity. "'May I ask?' she inquired what kind of a husband is that it is a new variety to me professor kennedy looked at her appraisingly it's the kind most women aspire to he answered enigmatically he imparted to this obscure remark the air of passing a sentence of condemnation sylvia's mother stirred uneasily in her chair and looked at her husband he had begun to take his viola from the case but now returned it and stood looking quizzically from his sister to his guest. "'Professor Kennedy talks a special language, Vic,' he said lightly. "'Some day he'll make a book of it and be famous. He divides us all into two kinds. The ones that get what they want by taking it away from other people. Those are the dolichocephalic blondes, though I believe it doesn't refer to the color of their hair. The other kind are the white folks.' the unpredatory ones who have scruples and get pushed to the wall for their pains. Mrs. Marshall Smith turned to the young man beside her. 
it makes one wonder doesn't it she conjectured pleasantly to which type one belongs oneself in this welcome shifting from the abstract to the understandably personal old reinhardt saw his opportunity ach woman's beautiful and good women's he cried in his thick kindly voice they are above being types to every good man they can be only wie ein blum so hold and schon professor kennedy's acid voice broke in so you're still in the eighteen thirty romantisch schule period are you reinhardt he went on to mrs marshall smith but there is something in that sort of talk women especially those who consider themselves beautiful and good escape being either kind of type by the legerdemain with which they get what they want and yet don't soil their fingers with predatory acts mrs marshall smith was perhaps a shade tardy in asking the question which he had evidently cast his speech to extract from her but after an instant's pause she brought it out bravely how in the world do you mean she asked smiling and received with a quick flicker of her eyelids the old man's response of they buy a dolichocephalic blonde to do their dirty work for them and pay for them with their persons oh cried mrs marshall checking herself in a sudden deprecatory gesture of apology towards her sister-in-law she looked at her husband and gave him a silent urgent message to break the awkward pause a message which he disregarded continuing coolly to inspect his fingernails with an abstracted air contradicted by the half-smile on his lips sylvia listening to the talk could make nothing out of it but miserably felt her little heart grow leaden as she looked from one face to another judith and lawrence tired of waiting for the music to begin had dropped asleep among the pillows of the divan mr bauermeister yawned looked at the clock and plucked at the strings of his violin he hated all talk as a waste of time old reinhardt's simple face looked as puzzled and uneasy as sylvia's own young mr saunders seemed to have no idea that there was anything particularly unsettling in the situation but disliking the caustic vehemence of his old colleague's speech interposed to turn it from the lady by his side and you're the man who's opposed on principle to sweeping generalizations he said in cheerful rebuke ah i've just come from a gathering of the clan kennedy repeated the older man i defy anybody to produce a more successfully predatory family than mine the fortunes of the present generation of kennedys don't come from any white-livered subterfuge like the rise in the value of real estate as my own ill-owned money does no sir the good old well-recognized red-blooded method of going out and taking it away from people not so smart as they are is good enough for them if you please and my woman relatives he swept them away with a gesture when i mrs marshall cut him short resolutely are you going to have any music tonight, or aren't you she said he looked at her with a sudden unexpected softening of his sombre eyes do you know barbara marshall that there are times when you keep one unhappy old misanthrope from despairing of his kind she had at this unlooked-for speech only the most honest astonishment i don't know what you're talking about she said bluntly 
Judith stirred in her sleep and woke up blinking. When she saw that Professor Kennedy had come in, she did what Sylvia would never have dared to do. She ran to him and climbed up on his knee, laying her shining dark head against his shoulder. The old man's arms closed around her. "'Well, Spitfire,' he said, "'come and saw Roy, eh?' Judith did not trouble herself to answer. With a gesture of tenderness, as unexpected as his speech to her mother, her old friend laid his cheek against hers. "'You're another, Judy. You'll never marry a dolichocephalic blonde and make him pull the chestnuts out of the fire for you, will you?' he said confidently. Mrs. Marshall rose with the exasperated air of one whose patience is gone. She made a step, as though to shield her husband's sister from the cantankerous old man. "'If I hear another word of argument in this house tonight,' she threatened, "'Mr. Reinhardt, what are these people here for?' The musician awoke with a sigh from his dazzled contemplation of his host's sister and looked about him. "'Ach, yes, ach, yes,' he admitted. With a glance of adoration at the visitor, he added impressively what to his mind evidently signified some profoundly significant tribute. "'This night we shall play only Schubert!' Sylvia heaved a sigh of relief as the four gathered in front of the music racks at the other end of the room, tuning and scraping. Young Mr. Saunders, evidently elated that his opportunity had come, leaned toward Aunt Victoria and began talking in low tones. Once or twice they laughed a little, looking towards Professor Kennedy. Then old Reinhardt, gravely pontifical, wrapped with his bow on his rack, lifted his violin to his chin, and an obliterating sponge was passed over Sylvia's memory. All the queer, uncomfortable talk, the unpleasant voices, the angry or malicious or uneasy eyes, the unkindly smiling lips, all were washed away out of her mind. The smooth, swelling current of the music was like oil on a wound. As she listened and felt herself growing drowsy, it seemed to her that she was being floated away, safely away from the low-ceilinged room where personalities clashed out to cool, starlit spaces. All that night, in her dreams, she heard only old Reinhardt's angel voice proclaiming, amid the rich murmur of assent from the other strings. End of chapter 5